Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. This morning, we're in Psalm 86. And I've simply called it the anatomy of a prayer. And if I'm going to be confessional with you, I'm also going to be somewhat judgmental. I would suspect if we corporately had one real lack in all of our maturity in Christ, it would be prayer. I would suggest the thing that we lack the most is a consistent prayer time with the Lord. Now, many of us will include prayer within our, within our, our Bible reading or our devotions, if we, should we call it that. But let's be fair. Most likely, we will have spent the majority of our time in devotions reading the Bible or studying some aspect about the Bible and then we close with prayer. We don't, we don't see a vitality in prayer. And so we have a chance to come today to see what David talks about. This is the only prayer in this book three that's been written by David. Um, since he's known as a man who walked or had the heart of God, we want to see what he considered important. And so Psalm 86, I think, really shows kind of the anatomy of, of David's thinking process and consequently anatomy of his prayers. And you've seen, you've seen other prompters to tell you how to approach prayer. I think David can teach us a lot here in Psalm 86 this morning. So if you will... Join with me by screen or in your own text of God's Word as we read Psalm 86 together. Incline your ear, O Lord, and and answer me. For I am poor and needy. Preserve my life. For I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord. For you do I cry all day. Gladden the heart of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace in the day of my trouble. I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like you. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, uh, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life, and they do not set you before them. 
But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save your son of your, mid, of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and put to shame because you, O Lord, or you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. And so, family, the Bible, I believe, is teaching us this morning that within all of the variety of dangers within this world, uh, the believer's ultimate and only comfort is prayer itself. And so we're going to look at, if you will, the anatomy of a prayer. We're not going to break it up into individual verses. We're going to look at all 17 verses simultaneously, kind of, kind of breaking them up thematically and, and looking at it. So you're going to find different ideas that I'm expressing throughout the psalm, but I want you to be aware of that. And so if we're going to look at one of the things that, that David considers important in his prayer life is who David thinks God is. Family, it's important for you and I every once in a while to step back and think about God. God cannot be known by mankind. God must show himself. And that's one of the hard things for what modern man or, or Western man to really grasp. Western man has a tendency to think that we have to be able to prove something. We have to be able to put it into a test tube. We have to be able to use uh, the variety of our senses to determine that something is true uh, in order to believe that it's true. Uh, there's, a, there's an arrogance to us that essentially thinks, in fairness, that, that we really are the smartest things on this universe. And unless we find it out, it can't be true. Well, there's a real problem to that. The person who understands that this self-realizing God is who he says he is, realizes that God's revelation is really a gift to us. And so when God turns on the light, you really get a gift because you understand God, or at least you're aware of God. You see, when you grasp how big God is, when you grasp his love for you, when you realize that the Father planned for the Son to die so that you could be restored into the family of God, into a relationship with Him, it should improve what you think of yourself. We're created by Him, loved by Him, redeemed by Him, privileged to serve Him. The greater that we understand God, the greater we view ourselves. All right? And one of the things, if there's one thing that I'm going to take away from this series together, it's going to be this. 
I have never, ever grasped all of the varieties of the names of God to appreciate how he shows himself to us by those names. And so what I mean by that is, guys, I have a master's degree. I can tell you what Yahweh means. I can tell you what Adonai means. I can tell you what Elohim means. I can tell you what Jehovah Jireh means. I can give you the individual names for God, and I can do that intellectually. But all of a sudden, in the last couple of weeks, all of that is a package, head, heart, uh, that, that sense of, of spiritual reality, all converge, and all of a sudden I have a new appreciation for my God because he has shown himself in different names, and that really comes alive this morning. We've talked about it before, but when we use the word Yahweh in our Bibles, always capitalized L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and you see it there, it's our Yahweh, and we've talked about that over and over again. We've seen that it is God who's talking. That, that, that God is a covenant-keeping God. The Jews revered the name Yahweh so much they wouldn't even pronounce it. And yet at the same time, when you think of loyalty to you, when you think of relational love, when you think of loving kindness and commitment, this is our word Yahweh, much like we talked about last week, Abba, Dad, Daddy, the one who's going to be so connected to us that when we need Him the most, He's there. In the word today, in, the, in our psalm today, you're going to see the word God as you read it over and over again, our word Elohim. And when you think of creation, power, might, omnipotence, you think God. All right? Family, again, if I could encourage you, you, you go on to any of the the nature programs, the better the photography, the better the idea you'll grasp this. And I would encourage anyone, a homework assignment from a sermon, please go watch a BBC nature film on whatever topic you enjoy. And the thing that you should see is the creative imagination of a mighty God. And the better the photography, the more glorious you'll see Elohim. The greater the animal diversity, the greater the geographic wonder, the greater you see the incredible imagination of God on high. Family, just, just walk. Pick an animal. Pick an animal. Crab. Forgive me, crabs are designed to be the vacuum cleaners of the ocean. Pick up whatever pieces of organic crud that the floor of the ocean has. Doesn't that make it delightful to eat? All right? But I want to encourage you, go look at the variety of crab. God could have just said crab, and he left a dungeoness. 
But he didn't. He left King and Snow and Dungeness and Blue and Stone. And I'm just scratching the surface. His wonder is beyond anything that you can have. And if you will, David comes in and says, there is no one like my God. The last is another word that the Jews would never pronounce in its original form. So they squished two words together, and you and I know it as our word Adonai. When you see it in your Bible, it is just simply L, capital, O-R-D. And, and Adonai, if I was to define the difference between Yahweh and and Adonai, it would be the difference between father and Abba, daddy. All right? Now, I will, I will probably finish my ministry using Glenn Slusher as my illustration, even though he's in heaven. But I still can remember a day when we bought ice cream cones. I was waiting for an ice cream cone. I am the oldest of the kids. And as the oldest... Don't you think the oldest should get the biggest? All right? So every time the ice cream cone came down, I would hold this one, then measure it against this one, and then pass the next back. My father finally noticed exactly what I was doing. My dad had paid for the ice cream cones. My dad was, was blessing it with a family night. My dad saw what I was doing. And he grabbed my cone after I'd passed them all out, had the biggest one, opened the window of our car, and threw mine to the ground. He says, I'm your father. You will be grateful to what I give you. Now I'm 66 years old. I still remember that lesson of gratitude. My dad had all long forgot about it when we talked about it. Family, understand, there's a difference between Abba, Daddy, I'm hurting, please come, and Father. Father has authority. Father has, has determination. Father has expectancy. And Father is someone that you lay down and submit to. So when we think of Adonai, not only is respect built into it, but Adonai acknowledges a person who has the power of leadership over someone else. So we can use the word Lord in a human sense because they were the master. They were the, the boss. And we can use that term. But when it's ultimately referring to God, that's still that same idea. You and I are the servants of the Most High God. So God is the master over our lives. We represent Him. And His mastery over the world events means we can never act contrary to his overall plan. And so family, with Adonai, David asks seven different times for, for things to come from the powerful Adonai. Things like the preservation of his life. 
Things like God's grace to come down. Things like His personal joy. Gladden my heart. Spiritual victory. And ultimately, mercy. So family, Lord is, is monstrous. And one of the great one of the great and early statements of Adonai comes as Moses has just defended Israel from the golden calf. And he has just restored the relationship between God and the nation. And he says, I don't want an angel to, to, to lead us to the promised land. Only you, God, only you. And after that was restored, Moses looks up and he says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And it is this word, Adonai. And as, as God says, I won't show you the front of my glory. I'll, I will allow you to see the afterglow of my glory. And so family, he looks down and he says, my name is Adonai. And then he begins to define that name. And it is the same that we have in verses 13, or 15 and 16. He says this, but you, O Adonai, here in Psalm 86, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so we are reminded here when, when you and I are in relationship to the Father, the Lord, we also have someone who's abounding in love, who's abounding in grace and mercy. And to the privileged who call him Adonai, he is also Abba, Yahweh. And so what a privilege it is to walk with David and be reminded of all of this wonder. So he wraps all of these titles together. And ultimately in verse 11, he says, God is someone who should be feared. So he says in verse 11, teach him your ways. In other words, what is sin? What is obedience? What pleases him? His goal in this knowledge is to fear him. Now family, what strength would this give to us if we consistently lived on the rock-solid fear of the true and the living God. If we believed that God would be so fearful that it impacted our lives, and He was so wonderfully above all that there is on this earth, what confidence would it give us to face other things? What confidence? What strength? So he says in Psalm 5-7, David says this, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. If we give God that kind of reverence, respect, worship, I would tell you, that a clearer understanding of God 
would give us greater confidence in living life in the 21st century. So I want you to notice, as, as he's proclaimed to us who God is and what he thinks God is, I want you to notice what David thinks of himself, who David thinks he is. So in connection to his, his spiritual needs and hopes, to his physical reality from God, he simply says he is poor and needy. Now, what I want you to understand is this. This is not false humility. He is comparing himself to God, and he recognizes that before God, he is insignificant and nothing. This is not false humility. He is not giving anything to anyone else. This is the awareness that before this wonderful God, he is lacking. But he's not groveling. In fact, the fact that he recognizes his need before God gives him confidence in other areas. He is strengthened to do great things. Let me remind you, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34, talks about his confidence in going and facing Goliath. And I want, to, I want you to hear it. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, he took a lamb and took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Now, please listen carefully. I never noticed this. Your servant has struck both lions and bears. And this circumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Forgive me, but if one lion didn't prepare him for, for his fight with Goliath, lions did. And if one bear didn't prepare him, bears did. So I'm going to tell you, David's not approaching God in a sense of false humility. He's already licked lions, bears, and Goliath. He's already been told the compliment. Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his tens of thousands. So we're not talking about a man who in, in groveling humility says, oh, I'm nothing, I'm poor and needy. But before Elohim, Adonai, Yahweh, he's nothing, and he recognizes that. Do you and I? Family, he's routinely praying. So in verse 3, he says he's crying. Now again, I want to remind you, he is not shedding tears here, as if in somehow he's in a stupor of grief. But the, the idea behind it, he is longing for the grace of, of the Lord's favor. Despite David's 
sinfulness, David realizes that God is gracious. Despite God's grace, David knows that he will continue to sin. So despite our continuing to sin, God continues to be gracious. Listen to Romans 5.20. Now the law comes in to increase the trespass. In other words, once you understand the law, you sin. You can't stop it. But where sin increases, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Family, God's forgiveness is something no human should, thud, should or thud, could think up but can only experience. There is no world religion outside of Christianity that offers a relationship with God of any ilk based on the gracious forgiveness of that God. You had to earn the right. You had to pay for the right. You had to provide enough sacrifices for the right. God gives it to us through grace that he initiated through the work of Jesus Christ. And it's that grace that gladdens his heart, so he tells us. The Bible says that we can be glad about many experiences in our life. And so the word is used in a variety of different ways. Uh, um, in, in Proverbs chapter 10, our kids gladden our heart, at least sometimes. Kindness, in Proverbs 27, gladdens our heart. Good food, connected with loving people, gladdens our heart, Exodus 4. But salvation is the most frequently expressed cause for joy. So the joy of, our Lord, of the Lord is our strength, Nehemiah 8 says. Now, against all of these prayers and the recognitions of who God is, who David is, what God will do for him in light of who David is, I want you to notice what David prays for. And if you've heard the, if you've heard the sermon so far, if you've really listened, if you've read Psalm 86, you've listened and known that David has already asked for long life. He's asked for preservation. Recognizing that even though he could kill tens of thousands, he could handle Goliath, he could handle lions and bears. He recognized that in the happenstance of life, it's God's preservation that watches over us. And the older we get, the more we're aware of all of the things that could happen to us, we recognize that only in the hands of a good God, in a preserving God, are we ultimately in care. And so he asked for it. He's asked for grace and the response to understanding that grace. But the one request that I want to suggest to you here seems to be a little richer, a little fuller, a little deeper, is this one. He asked that God, teach me your way. So family, when, 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 when God teaches, God, or David doesn't want mere knowledge of God's word. 
He wants that knowledge to intertwine with his heart so that God has a greater personal significance and a deeper personal love. That's why he he ties knowing God in verse 11 with the fear of his name. The more he puts to practice what God would have him to do, the more confidence he can live. So verse 11 speaks of walking in truth. God's word is never given to us as advice in which we may or may not utilize. We walk in truth because he's Adonai. Remember who Adonai is. He's Father. Again, Glenn Slusher would have said it this way. Pete, your home is not a democracy. It's a loving dictatorship. And so God's God's truth is never meant to give us advice. It's given for us to follow. So when we learn truths of Scripture... Let's pick one. When when we believe that God is triune, the first person of the Trinity rules over every created thing. He has given the second person of the Trinity the authority to be our Redeemer. And that action deserves our praise. The third person of the Trinity encourages our praise of the second person of the Trinity so that we grow more in love and mature with the Father's desires. Now, please understand, this isn't a dry lesson in theology, but this is a wonderful privilege of the self-revealing God who teaches us about Himself. And once we understand that, we realize that God the Father is in control of all things. Being transcendent He is outside of all of the cares of this universe, outside of all of the concerns that might affect his decision-making. He's outside it. That's why he had to reveal himself to us, but he's also inside. So intimately inside that we use the phrase, he's inside my heart because I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Outside, transcendent, inside, He's with us, among us, advising us. Through the Holy Spirit, we now know how God's Word can apply in our hearts that we may encourage our praise. And all of these things are done not for us to know more about God, but in knowing we love Him and we serve Him and we have greater confidence in the variety of fears that the world would offer to us. And so the greater we know of God's truth, the more confident we live. Because God is sovereign, we should trust in His sovereign hand even when He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. We fear no evil. We obey the truth because in doing so, we won't sin against Him. Family, that's something we should want to pass on to our family. And I believe that that, that's found in the idea of 
praise. Praise has the idea of priority, significance, one-of-a-kind importance, all right? The, the word praise comes with three consonants that accept that could be used in any way. We know it in praise as the word kavod. Kavod ultimately means heavy. So if I took you back to one of the, the last of the, of the judges of Israel, it was a man by the name of Eli. Eli, in our text of Scripture, was called fat. In Hebrew, he is kevet. He's heavy. All right? Same, same words. Now, our heavy judge was not doing a good judge of judging. His two sons were terrible sinners. His two sons carried away the Ark of the Covenant into a battle with the Philistines, and they lost that battle. And in losing the battle, they lost the Ark of the Covenant and with it the Shekinah glory that had judged and watched over Israel. All at the same time that Eli's daughter-in-law is about to have a baby. She has that baby and she now realizes that Eli has fallen and broken his neck. He's gone. Her husband has now been taken away from her. She's a widow about ready to have a baby. And worse than that, the Shekinah glory is gone. And now she's holding her little cherished one. And she looks down at it and she names it Ikavod. Where is the glory? On one level, the heaviness of life is now so overwhelming that she recognizes everything that she's considered important. Her spiritual identity, her physical identity, her family has gone in one moment. Where is the glory? On one level, the heaviness is overwhelming. On the other, on the, other the priorities of life have all now been removed from her. Where is the glory? And family, let me simply remind you, if she could name her child, where is the glory? You and I need to remember that if praise, if giving God kavod recognizes that his importance in our lives is so demanding that it should impact every issue that we do and be reflective of our behaviors so that our behaviors themselves are praiseworthy. And as parents and grandparents, don't ever forget what a priority of passing on kavod, glory, praise, is to your children and to your grandchildren. We have great respect for the kids over there. Please hear me out. We had all of the Awana command or all of the Awana workers stand up a minute ago. Every one of them, if your children are in Awana, was busy representing Jesus Christ to those kids. So when the five girls received Timothy Awards, every one of those verses was told to our workers. They represented Christ 
to our kids. They did so in volunteer of the day that God will judge you and, you and your mate for raising your children and how well the importance, the glory of God was passed from one generation to the next. And so never forget, as God is prayed for by David, that he may be taught the priorities of God, the awareness of God, the, the, the instruction of God, that those priorities are vital. They are everything. Take on the heaviness of the purpose of God in your life. I want you to see, finally, the last, very, the last verse. David prays for a visible sign of the goodness of God in the midst of conflict. Everybody hates him. He says, could they see the visibleness of your answered prayer in my life? And in, in fairness, he may be thinking of the plagues of Egypt. He may be thinking of the day that he killed Goliath. Some big thing. And in doing so, the enemies are afraid. Family, I want to suggest to you that last week we celebrated the only clear understanding to your prayers that you will ever need. And what I mean by that is Jesus Christ's resurrection will teach you all of the truth that you need to have. And what I, what I want you to understand, God answers your prayers. I've prayed for stupid stuff. Yesterday, my prayer was simply this. Knee-deep in blood and irrigation, my blood trying to fix my irrigation, I can't tell you how many times I didn't have this, this, or this. And after 47 trips to Lowe's, you begin to say, wow, I'm done relying on my own power, and you need that thing. You know how cool it is to go, Lord, I don't know if I have one of these, but if there is, I'm really going to praise you. And you walk in and you find, and it was there. Please understand, that has nothing to do with verse 17. What it's talking about is simply this, that the connection that you have with the living God is so evident that no matter who knows you, friend or enemy, they know that that relationship, that connection is real and vital and important. And so family, please understand, you'll get no better answer to that prayer than when Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb 2,000 years ago. You were given the answer that causes your enemies to this day to fear. You are given the answer in order to go on when life seems unsustainable. You were given the promise that says, where I am, you will be also. How do you know? Jesus walked out of the grave. Family, 
The world is in fear of us because the world is in fear of Yahweh, of Jehovah, of Elohim. Never forget what a privilege it is to proclaim that I know salvation in Jesus Christ. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ not only forgave your sins, but it gives you the authority by which to have confidence in a world today that feeds your fear. You don't have to. Jesus promised everything that is frightening right now in, in world events in Matthew 24. Jesus Christ promised you that the world will become more and more unraveled when he walked this earth. So he's already prepared you for this day and then said, don't worry about it, and walked out of the grave in power and strength and authority. Relax. You serve the Adonai who's fully in control. Father in heaven, I would pray that you'd watch over us. Dear God, um, as we looked at the anatomy of David's prayers, may that encourage us. Dear God, we may not sit down and, and, and formalize a, a conversation with you, but dear God, may, may you become part of our conversations all day long. May, dear God, it's as if we walk and talk with you all day long. Dear God, help us to understand who we are because we understand who our God and our Savior is. Father, I thank you for these little subtleties that our English has completely whitewashed. Dear God, I thank you for an intimacy that we are given that we know that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, not some unfathomable name, but a name of a woman who was physically born that I can identify as both my friend and my God. Father, I thank you that in Jesus Christ I have that privilege. Father, I thank you for a promise that you've given us Scripture deep from Genesis to Revelation that you're in control, you have it handled, and that, dear God, you will bring it to fruition that glorifies you. And, dear God, all you ask me to do is live life recognizing you're in control. And may that give me confidence today. Father, watch over us as we go out of today and leave this place of worship to, dear God, represent you. And may we represent you knowing how mighty and gracious you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.